This year, we're managing our stress with Talkspace. Talkspace is an affordable way to do therapy that's convenient, secure, and making a big difference for us. Our therapist has already given us practical guidance that's changed our lives for the better. We're getting the support we need, and you can too. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure you use the code MYTHS to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's MYTHS and Talkspace.com. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story of a brave king, a magic horse, a sorceress, and so many bad decisions, like how... If you've lost a father and six consecutive brothers to a murder forest, maybe don't go in the murder forest. Or how to build a rocket that runs on angry snakes. The creature this time is a tall, hairy man who's judgy about your dating choices. This is Myths and Legends, episode 212, Witchy Woman. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is a fairy tale from Armenia. It's one of those fun medieval tales that doesn't require much in the way of a backstory or history. So we'll just jump right in. Okay, so just so we're clear, your dad and six brothers went on a hunting trip and never returned, the advisor noted. The young king popped another cherry tomato in his mouth. Huh? Oh, yeah, right. And now you want to go on that same hunting trip toward the area of the dark forest so haunted that the one wish of parents on their deathbeds is that their kids never even go near it? The advisor had to take a seat. And... Why do you need to do this, exactly? The young king shrugged. He was... bored? Besides, sure, the forest had consumed his father, brothers, and countless others, but maybe he could do it? Also, he had a magical dagger. The dagger's not magical, the advisor yelled, and then composed himself. Okay, he was just being real here. This was suicide. If the king left, he would be going to his death and leaving the kingdom without a ruler. What are you doing? Oh, it's a it's a group text. The king looked up. My hunting boys. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention to any of that. What were you saying about unlocking the mysteries of the forest and avenging my family and bringing honor back to our kingdom? The advisor pushed himself up from the table. He wasn't talking about that at all. Oh, okay. Not relevant then. Cool. Uh, meeting adjourned the king said to the speechless advisor and gestured in the air. Huh, anticlimactic. He needed a gavel or something. All right, when he came back from avenging his family, he was getting a gavel. Dear, someone shouted. The young king saw it. He told the rest to stay and eat. He was on it. They rode through the desert for three days on horses that did, in fact, have names before they reached the Forbidden Forest. And a fancy feast. Arrayed before them, in two pavilions, 
was a steaming feast. Meats, bread, vegetables, wine, with enough seats for all of them. After days on the road, this was a welcome sight. The king couldn't keep his men from it if he wanted to, so he told them to go ahead and start. He would be back with the stag. It wasn't long, however, before the solitary king was lost. The stag had long since outdistanced him and left him wandering through the brush. Seeing the light poking through the clearing up ahead, he figured he would get out of the thick of the trees, figure out where he was going, and get back. His thoughts were cut off, and he slowed his horse. If it wasn't noon, what he saw before him would block out the sun. Before the young man, a pile of sun-bleached bones rose seemingly as high as his keep back home. He dismounted from his horse and staggered up to them. He knelt down to touch one. Could they be real? And then he realized something. His father, his brothers, they were probably here. Dwarfed by this heap of death, the king took a final look and ran back to his horse. This was a terrible idea. He had to get back to his men. They had to get out of this forest. As he rushed back, he wondered if each one of those skulls in the pile had once held a brain that had thought that before it ended up there. He didn't know how he found the pavilions, but he burst through the trees, yelling for everyone to get to their horses. They had to leave, now. But the tents were silent. The king dismounted and brushed aside the flap. The men didn't respond because they were dead. They had collapsed on the tables, lolled back in their chairs, and some even made it to the back of the tent, trying to get to their horses, but they were all gone. The food had been poisoned. The king dropped to his knees. Who could have guessed that stopping off for a mysteriously prepared feast in a forest known for its death could have been a bad idea? Then there were shouts outside. He darted to the mouth of the tent. They were already emerging from the forest. A dozen soldiers, led by a lithe young man. They pointed to the first tent, and six men dismounted and approached. The king closed the flap and was out the back of the tent mere moments before the soldiers clanged into his. The king watched from the forest as the men on horses carried each one of his attendants and friends out, stripped him, and put his valuables in one cart and the body in another. It took just about an hour. They were quick, professionals. They were all set to leave when the leader raised his hand. Could any of them count? The men looked at each other. What did their leader mean? The leader pointed to the herd of horses. He meant that there was one more horse than there were bodies. Someone got away, but they couldn't have gotten far. Find the last rider. He's right here, the leader heard, feeling a knife on his throat. The young king, who had surprised the bandit leader, said that to lead people astray and poison them was a coward's way. He challenged the man to combat. The king saw the bandits raise their crossbows, but the leader shook his head. Really? The men lowered their weapons, and it was then that the king noticed something. Holding the young man close allowed him to pay attention to the smaller details like the man's long blonde hair, voice, and basic anatomy. The young man was a woman. She was, 
and she also knew an opening when she saw one. While the king marveled at a woman leading, an elbow found his solar plexus, and soon he was on the ground, gasping for air. The woman raised her hands to keep her men from turning the king into a porcupine, and bent down to his ear, saying that it was a brave thing he did there. He could have run. She would let him live. But if he was truly as brave as his words, he should come find her. Her name was Zulvicia. She snapped her fingers, and the men mounted their rides. A couple drove the carts, and more herded the horses belonging to the king's men. They even took his horse. Sitting up in the dust, catching his breath, the king watched her leave, repeating her name, Zulvicia. She might have robbed him, murdered all of his friends and probably his family, and while he couldn't forget that, he could ignore it, because he was in love. Sulvicia, the old fairy man asked, as he reclined with his brothers at a place where, after eight straight hours of walking, the young king stopped for the night. They said if only they knew, but she just drove by, they would have stopped her. The king looked at the three. They had the power to do that? The fairies grinned. No. Also, when someone drives by your house regularly with a cart full of bodies, you let them go. The fairy said seriously, Zulvicia was bad news. He didn't want any of that. Just go home, or better yet, stay here. They had an extra room. The king shook his head. No. He had to go confront her and bring honor to his name and family. The old men looked at each other. Was the king sure? Was he sure it wasn't just because she was extremely good looking? He was a king. Marry literally anyone else and not the woman who killed your entire family. But the king wouldn't hear it. He pulled three items from his pack. A pair of scissors, a razor, and a mirror. He gave one to each of the fairy men, telling them to guard the items and look at them every day. If blood appeared on any of them, he was in grave danger. The men looked at each other. Uh, okay? They were fairies, and they had a ton of questions. What, how would it bleed? Were there little pores on them? Would the king make them bleed somehow, or was this just something that happened to every mirror, razor, and pair of scissors when its owner was in mortal danger? Also, how would they find him in danger? They knew he was in danger, okay, but then what? That's just more stressful. But the king couldn't be bothered. He was already snoring by the fire, preparing himself for the fateful day ahead. King groaned. He followed the confused fairy's directions, found the castle, but there were no doors in the wall. No gate. It was just wall. It was at the end of his second ride around it that he heard something coming from the forest. He drew his sword and then realized that it was just snoring. He followed the sound to a pit where he dared to look over the edge to see an old man just snoozing down at the bottom. The king tried to yell to the old man, but ended up sprinkling dirt on his face because he was in such a heavy sleep. The old man woke up, spitting, and glared at the source of his light. What was all that? 
The king interrupted, asking him who he was and why he was down there. Also, did he know Zulvicia? And, you know, unrelated question, was she single? Zulvicia, the man said, and spat on the ground. The curse of the world. Of the thousand she has killed, I am the only one to have ever escaped her. Then he looked around his pit. Kind of. She put him in this pit, casting some magic on him to make sure he wouldn't starve. But he had been down there for years. The young king said that, be that as it may, his heart knew what it wanted. And that was Zulvicia. The old man held up his palms. Look, he understood. Zulvicia is... yeah. But also, don't. She is so dangerous. She gets up on her little balcony in her crystal tower every day, looks out on her domain, and if she detects any man or demon in her realm that she doesn't approve of, she screams with a scream that can instantly kill anyone she wants. The young man nodded. For love, he would take that risk. The old man shook his head. Seriously? Well, seeing as he had lived here for years, he did know a way around the curse. The next morning, the king sat huddled in a cave, shielded only by a forked stick. The forked stick probably had some meaning, but really all the king had to do was wait for Zulvicia to cry out three times. After the third time, her power would be broken. So that's what the king did. He crouched in a cave, fingers in his ears just in case, and waited until she screamed three times. At the third, he rose, pushed away the forked stick, and exited the cave. When he approached the wall, he found the stones parting, making a doorway through which Zulvicia strode, and a coat of pearls wearing a broken talisman. Sword drawn, the king rushed toward the sorceress, whose bandit gang had killed his family and countless others. When he was close enough, he raised his sword and threw it down. He took the willing Zulvicia into his arms, and the pair kissed. When the king woke up the morning he went to confront a dangerous witch who murdered his family, he had no idea that it would also be his wedding day. I mean, he wasn't mad that it was. Marrying a sorceress bandit leader who killed his father would make things a bit sticky for returning to his kingdom, but that problem could be solved by just never going home. I mean, Zulvicia's castle was nicer than his. Forty maidens waited on them day and night, and he got all the trappings of royalty without the responsibility or annoying courtly politics. Zulvicia was fantastically wealthy, too. You know, on account of all the people she had killed, but the greatest gift of all was her horse. As symbolic as it was meaningful, she took the king down to the stables to show him her horse. That was now his horse. It was a stallion, a, quote, steed of flame, and Zulvicia handed her new husband the bridle. The horse looked him over and bent his head down. He took the bit, and Zulvicia hugged the king. Together, they went off to celebrate their wedding. It was a few days later that the king actually got to ride the horse. It's said he went off on Zulvicia's business. We don't know what that is. But while he was out riding, he was, once again, distracted by a stag. I feel like there's a medieval PSA about distracted driving in here somewhere, but we won't parse it out. The young king left the road, and because he can't stay focused for two seconds, found himself on top of his horse, wading through a stream. 
Once again, he lost the stag, but he also lost something else in the water. After their wedding, Zulvicia, his wife, gave him a lock of her hair and a carved box full of pearls. It was a nice gift, and in an age without smartphones or even pictures, it was something to remember her by when the king was out on unspecified business. Well, we'll leave our king for a little bit to follow the box down the river as it floated. It passed forests, plains, and more until finally someone snagged it. The royal fisherman for the king of the east inspected what was on the end of his line, gasped, and ran for the king. All right, uh, who does this belong to? The king of the east boomed at his noblemen and peers, gesturing to the carved box of pearls and the wet clump of hair. The noblemen looked at one another. Uh, was this a test or something? They had no idea whose hair that was. Should they? The king said yes, they should. Because this, this hair, belonged to the most beautiful woman in the world. He took it up and smelled it. Find this woman. The nobles murmured among themselves. How were they supposed to do that? That was basically impossible. The king of the east, though, was already dismissing them with a hand wave. Well, that was their problem now. Bring him his beautiful new bride. Because, yes, some stranger would absolutely want to marry him sight unseen. Why else would she send him this alluring gift? Find this beautiful new bride or in three days, he would cut off all of their heads. Bye! The nobles passed a dark alleyway, already making plans to leave the country, when they heard a voice from the shadows. A uh, little birdie told me you all need to find the owner of a wet clump of hair. The nobles spun and saw a crone standing there. How did she know that? She gestured to her ragged clothes, warts, and a broomstick. A literal bird told her she was a witch. She knew who it was, and she would tell them so they could tell the king. They made a deal, and for a handful of gold from each of the nobles, the witch told them of Zulvicia. They rushed back inside, and she simply waited. A half hour later, the nobles were back. Uh, turns out the king didn't just want them to find her. He wanted them to get her. I guess kidnap? That would be kidnapping, right? But here's the thing. They didn't want to. They did have a lot of money and 40 days to bring back Zulvicia or else they would lose their heads. So how would a complete blank check from them sound to go get Zulvicia and bring her back? The witch nodded. Sounded good. All she would need right now was a pitcher and a garden. For most of the afternoon, the nobles watched her root through one of their gardens, catching snakes and putting them in a pitcher, probably feeling really great about putting their fates in the hands of what now looked like just a crazy old woman. Once the pitcher was full of snakes, the woman spent about another hour, crouched over one hole in particular, until a head emerged. She struck, pinching it behind its head. She pulled and pulled until the long, black rat snake was free from its hole. The snake calmed down underneath her power and she ordered one of the nobles to get her a cork. He did, and she used it to cork off the pitcher full of snakes, which she then proceeded to sit on like a rocket. 
Using the big black snake, she whipped the pitcher, and it took off like it had wings. Because that isn't something you see every day. One hopes, she left the nobles standing there stunned on the ground, and she shot through the air towards Zulvisia's castle. We'll see what happens when the snake rocket arrives in Zulvisia's lands, but that will be right after this. The witch smoothed out the wrinkles on her cloak, and then cocked an eyebrow. Wait a minute. She re-wrinkled her cloak and rubbed dirt in it. The pitcher of snakes was safely planted where it needed to be. Now, she was just waiting for him. The young king turned the corner, our protagonist, the original king, and saw a crone sitting by the road, weeping. He jumped down from his horse and went to comfort her. He learned, through tears, that she had been traveling with a caravan of pilgrims to Jerusalem. They stopped for a bit, and she walked off to use the bathroom, but when she returned, they had gone. They left her. She didn't know the way, and they had all of her possessions. She might as well just wait here to die. The king said that that was preposterous. She should come with him to die, but like, later, like, years later. Both of them were pretty confused, so the king started over. He lived in a castle with plenty of room. She should come with him, and they would try to find her a way home, or on to Jerusalem where she could meet up with her caravan if they weren't waylaid by bandits or something, because they were traveling across medieval continental Europe, and stuff happened. The old woman thanked the king, who offered her a seat on his horse behind him. The flame steed, knowing exactly what was going on, was having none of that, and a few steps later, he reared, sending the witch tumbling backwards. The king apologized, and helped the witch climb up again, but again, the fire steed reared, so that the witch fell. The witch, deciding that she liked her bones intact, said that she would rather walk. And soon, they were at the castle. Yeah, that's a witch, Zulvisia said, when she spied the crone from her window. She smiled and waved, and the witch smiled and waved back, both plotting the other's downfall. Zulvisia said that she didn't want that woman in her house. Period. The king nodded. Say no more. He understood. He didn't and the witch was put up in the servants' quarters, like 20 feet from Zulvisia's castle. It was like walls around a covered walkway from being in the same house. But by the time Zulvisia learned that the witch was still there, it was too late. Because the witch was hilarious. She entertained the servants nightly. Even the king had been to her sold-out show twice this week. Zulvisia sighed and told her maid to bring the witch to her tonight after her encore performance. The witch, using her magic of listening, caring, and being a good friend, won over Zulvisia. And soon, the only person the beautiful young sorceress trusted more was her husband. Until one evening. The witch asked Zulvisia if she wanted to pop open a pint of Benjamin and Jerome's and talk about boys. You know, girls' night. Like, okay, what was the king's big secret? He knew hers, with the yelling three times and the forked stick. What was his? Zulvisia shook her head. The king didn't have any secrets from her. 
The witch smirked. Come on. He was a guy. There was always something. What was the secret that would, yeah, you know, enable a stranger to kill him? Because it's not like she had already tried and he was surprisingly strong and or lucky girls' night. Zalicia said she honestly had no idea. Hold on. She had to go have a talk. Oh, it's my magical dagger, the king said, showing her the dagger. She asked if she could hold it, but he shook his head. Afraid not. If you lost possession of it, the consequences would be dire. He always had it on him and slept with it under his pillow, which is safe for a dagger. Zulvicia asked where he got the dagger. Why was it of such massive consequence? And he looked directly at the camera. It doesn't say. He just had a dagger that maybe controlled his life and death. Would have been nice if any version filled that detail in. Zulvicia thanked her husband for sharing the truth. Went and picked up that pint of the venerable mead, mead-flavored ice cream, and told the witch her husband's secret. Girls' night. Of course, four days later, the king was found comatose and foaming at the mouth. Turned out the magical dagger was actually a magical dagger. It had been stolen from underneath his pillow, and he was completely incapacitated and probably dying. Zulvicia cried for the witch's help, but when no one came, she rushed out to see all of her maids, 40 of them wrapped in venomous snakes. The chrome was in the garden, standing beside the pitcher she had hidden there before she first arrived, the black snake by her side. She waved her hand, and one by one, the snakes bit each of the maids, causing them to drop to the ground. Letting them go, the snakes surrounded Zulvicia, and the crone told her she had two options. Come willingly, or die. The snakes wouldn't just bite her, they would tear her to pieces. Didn't matter much to the crone, but she imagined Zulvicia had a preference. Zulvicia nodded. She would go. And the snakes swarmed her anyway. They bound her hands and legs and dragged her toward the pitcher, where they pulled her in like the very worst type of genie. When they were in, the witch corked it, took the black snake in her hands, and whipped the pitcher thrice. It rose in the air, and she took off toward the palace of the king of the east. Ew, you're using that? One of the fairy men said to his roommate. The fairy was shaving with the razor that the king had given him. He nodded. Yeah. Ever wonder why his face had been so baby smooth over the past couple of years? Besides, they lived in the dark forest. Where was he supposed to get a razor? Yeah, but you don't use someone else's razor. Bloodborne pathogens, bud, the fairy said with a grimace. The shaving fairy said that he washed it and he was careful. Really? Because you just cut yourself, the other one pointed out. The shaving one said that he didn't. And then he gasped. It was bleeding. The other pulled out his scissors, and the third his mirror, and they were all bleeding. The king was in trouble. Even though the young king didn't happen to fill in his mystical emergency contacts on where to find him, they knew he rode for the castle of Zulvicia and wasn't dead yet, so they set off that instant to help him. When they arrived, they found the wall magically opened, and the castle was open as well, and destitute 
in the courtyard, forty maids lay dead. The fairies saw that there was nothing they could do and rushed to find their friend. They found him, still on the floor, still dying. They lifted him back into bed and tried to get him some water, but this was beyond their skill level. So, anyone want to get some dinner? Can we? Oh my gosh, I'm starving, the second fairy said to the other two. Guys, he's dying, the third said. Okay, and we just had a dramatic thing where we all agreed it's above our skill level and I'm hungry. Do you want us to die too? The first asked. The third grumbled. Please. He had chips on the way here. He would be fine. But the other two were already raiding the pantry, which was empty for some reason. They sighed and pointed to a pond outside the castle. Anyone have a fishing rod? Wait, what was shining down there? Yeah, as it turned out, the witch who infiltrated the castle with magic took the king's magical dagger and just threw it in the pond outside of his window. The fairies brought it to him, because I guess they remembered he always had it on him that one night he spent with them, and the king immediately awoke. He went, found his horse, and took off at once for the river. So I think I know why the witch did the bare minimum for getting rid of the dagger. It's because, as soon as she got Zulvicia back to the palace of the King of the East, she got paid, and the story says this, an actual cartload full of gold, and drove away immediately, leaving the kingdom and our story. Zulvicia, after spending way too long in a genie bottle full of snakes, there really isn't any amount of time, too much time, immediately used her magic and alchemy to mix a poison which she kept by her side, threatening to poison herself immediately should she be forced into marriage. They spent 40 days like this, with the king trying to convince her to marry him and her telling him absolutely not. Meanwhile, the young king, the protagonist, was actually using his head for once, having deduced that someone found out about Zulvicia from the lock of hair he dropped in the river. He came to a massive kingdom and stopped off at an inn, asking the innkeeper if she knew anything about a woman named Zulvicia. The woman shook her head. Not only did she not know, but they were full up for the night. She couldn't help him at all. The king nodded. Maybe this could jog her memory. He dropped a small bag of gold on the counter. Did he say Zulvicia, the young woman marrying the king this week? The young king nodded. Sounded about right. Hey, could she do him a favor? The old woman stared at him. The young king sighed and dropped another bag of gold on the counter, and the old innkeeper nodded. She could now. Heard you're having some problems with the young bride-to-be, threatening to intentionally poison herself if she's forced to marry, the innkeeper said to the guards. They nodded. The innkeeper waved them aside, and there was a standing reward from the king if someone could convince her otherwise. The two guards looked at each other. That was a tidy bit of exposition, but yeah, right this way. At the first glance of the old innkeeper, Zulvicia raised the poison to her lips, telling the woman to stay where she was. The woman nodded, taking a step closer. She said she needed to get closer, so Zulvicia could see her ring, and Zulvicia wanted to see her ring. The queen was wary, but finally chanced to glance. 
then, she couldn't look away. The old innkeeper was wearing her husband's wedding ring. Zulvicia looked at the guards flanking the woman and asked what she should do. Go through with it. We'll see you there, the old woman said. Zulvicia sat back and pushed the poison away. The rescue of Zulvicia was as quick as it was uneventful, in one version. When she appeared before the city, the people perceived it as a flash of lightning, but it was really the fire steed, who could move fast enough to rush in front of the crowd, pick up Zulvicia, and leave, and all the people saw was a blur. Which, okay, pull that out now. In one version, the king dropped her off safely at home, and returned to the king of the east, going all action hero on him and his courtiers, killing them to a man with his magical dagger, and having the people cry out for him, this strange murderer, to replace the strange sleazeball as king. Keep in mind that the young king already has, effectively, two kingdoms, but according to this version, decided to settle in a third, where he knew nothing of the culture and the politics. I'm going to end with another version, though, where the young king and Zulvicia just went home. The only person who knew where they were was the witch, and she wasn't talking because she was already long gone with enough gold to fill a kiddie pool. I do like how this version ends, saying that Zulvicia and her husband have both learned how to keep happiness when they got it. And that's a lesson many people never learn at all. And besides, it's a lesson that nobody can teach, and one which every person must learn for themselves. The end. Also, just to remind everyone, Bandit Zulvicia absolutely murdered the young king's father and brothers, a fact which the story, and the young king, seem to conveniently forget. I like this story, but I do wish the plot was a bit tighter, explaining the magical dagger and the horse a little bit more, but it's also a fairy tale, and I should really just relax. Next week, we're catching back up with Renard the Fox, where we figure out how far we can stretch the title of hero before it breaks. If you'd like to support the show, as always, there's a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a henbag handbag, a rubber chicken purse, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that are not nearly as fun to say as henbag handbag. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Albastor, from the Cameras people in eastern Russia. The Albastor is a shapeshifter who can take the shape of any animal, but he really prefers to be a giant, pale-skinned man with flowing hair, or a shooting star, which is the form he takes when he flies through the air. I mean, if you could turn into a shooting star, wouldn't you? Like many creatures that I generally skip because it's too sad, the Albastor originates from the soul of an unbaptized infant. Its usual haunts are bathhouses and maybe your bedroom. Its one and only hobby is relations with humans. But if you think someone is, you know, indulging too much, well, he can get a little judgy and also punishy. The alabaster will say, fine, you want to be promiscuous? Go be promiscuous. 
and fill that person with such a strong desire that they die from exhaustion. Yeah, for everyone else, he'll just keep stopping by, acting as something like a hairy male succubus. If your partner develops a mysterious and idiopathic sore on their lips, the trademark of an albuster's kiss, well, they're being visited in the night by the albuster. Also, maybe other stuff might be going on. You should probably have a talk. It's surprisingly easy to keep the albuster out of your room and house. Just put crosses over any door you don't want the albuster to enter. If you find that the albuster is already in your room, and you don't want anything to do with that, just, and I'm not joking about this, this is the traditional way to ward off the albuster according to folklore, break his fingers, which I think has a pretty universal meaning of please leave right now. More specifically, the little finger on his left hand. But when it comes to surprise, unwelcome visitors in your house at night, it's probably better to err on the side of overdoing it. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.